There is no going back from what I'm about to share with you this morning. There are some serious implications, and it's nothing that you don't already know. But my fear would be that I would share something out of the Word, and then we would not wrap our lifestyles around what we hear, and because of that, we would not understand it. Because of that, it would be snatched away. So if you would take the time to pray with me that God will speak to our hearts, that we would be good soil, and that word wouldn't be snatched away, I would appreciate it. Can we do that? Father, we want to be good soil. We want your word to land on our hearts, and we want it to go down deep so that the fowl of the air cannot snatch it away. We want it to produce a fruit and a crop in us that is much bigger than the Word itself and extends farther than our reach. And so we ask you to do that this morning. We bind darkness from this room. We bind distraction from this room in Jesus' name. And Lord, we ask that your Word takes such a root in our lives that it will never, ever, ever, ever be taken. Do you guys agree? That baby agrees. Amen. So we've been doing Belong, Believe, and Become series that we had an intermittent baptisms in there, and now is the final week of the Become series. So I think, because I grew up in a church that was filled with plastic trees on stage, the river should become a place that has more plastic plants. Anybody grow up in a church like that? Man, when I was younger, I thought, how do they stay so fresh and alive all the time? I never see anyone watering them. And then finally, when I got up the nerve to pass the altar and go check one time when no one was looking because kids never are allowed on stage, I found out they were all plastic and fake. You can look at this one and know, this tree I just put up here, it's two sticks, and I think, I don't even know why it's in this building. It was in Rob's office, actually, I pulled it down from his office, I'm not sure if it brings him peace or whatever, but it's two sticks, and I think the the plastic leaves are stapled to the side of it, it doesn't even look like a real tree, but that is, I'm going to use that this morning for other than what I'm doing right now, so it's a prop, it's a prop. If you would... If you would uh, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 11, as we begin to talk about what it means to become. Normally we assume we want to become like Jesus. That's kind of what, what the church language is. Jesus died for me, he forgave my sins, and now my goal in life is to become like him. I'm going to challenge that idea a little bit this morning, and so you can know, I might say something slightly controversial, and you can put your stones back in your pockets so you don't have to throw them at me this morning. Rob and I were having a conversation the other day, and we were thinking about closing the back door of the river because what happens is people come and go. It's a very kind of transient community, and we want people to become, and we reached the conclusion that in order for us to truly enter into discipleship, people have to have a place where they have community, they have to have a place where they're growing in their faith, 
and they have to have a place where they can serve. And so if you're, if you're, if you're sitting in these pews and you don't have any community, you're basically on your way out. And if you're not experiencing any growth, experiencing any growth because of that community, you're also on your way out. And if you don't have any place to serve, or you don't see visibly how you're serving the kingdom in your life or being able to practice that at church, then you're just not going to last very long. And so keep those things in mind as we talk about Mark. Mark chapter 11. Jesus did most of his teaching about parables. If you have a pen or a piece of paper, you're going to want to take notes because I've learned this recently. Um, Rob does a really good job of teaching and giving you like that one point and driving it home so you really get it. And I, I, I think of myself more like a fire hydrant. I think I just, I say a lot of things. And... I want some of them to stick. Maybe I just say a lot of things, so if you hear one good point, you'll be like, that was great. The re- everything else you said I didn't understand, but th- you said one good thing. And so I think we need to be writing these down. The book of Mark is written, obviously, by Mark, and it's written during a time when the Romans are around, and they would just as soon kill you as look at you. And so I feel and I wonder if the reason the book of Mark is so short is because this stuff wasn't really allowed at the time and he just kind of gets the bullet points across. So when you're reading the book of Mark, it's really important to pay attention to what he says. If you're reading Matthew, he might say a lot of extra stuff, kind of filler, but Mark is like bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. And so Mark has some specific parables and I want to dive into Mark chapter 12 this parable about a vineyard. But before we do that, I want to explain what is happening in Jesus' life as he leads up to this parable. He just did what was called the triumphal entry. Do you guys know what that is? Everybody thought he was coming on a white horse, going to destroy the Roman government. He rides in on a donkey. Everybody yells, Hosanna, 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 save us. And Jesus has come to do his thing. Now, I've shared this before, and maybe, you've, maybe you'll recall it, but Jesus does most of his time teaching in parables until the triumphal entry. Once he gets to the triumphal entry, it's less about story time and more about what actually needs to happen for the kingdom of God to come in its fullest. Are you following me? And so he has one more parable that he shares in Mark. And it's the parable of the tenants and the vineyard. And he's getting at something very clear and very simple. Actually, Mark would say, Jesus spoke many similar parables. And it kind of drives me nuts sometimes that there are so many interpretations on all of these different parables that Jesus talked about when the reality is most of the parables that he is talking about are saying the exact same thing. And it's very simple. But in its simplicity, there are some super strong implications. And if we don't wrap our lifestyles around that, we become nothing more than lukewarm Christians who offer nothing to the world. So Jesus had just done the triumphal entry, 
And he's, he, he had left, and now he's walking towards the city with his disciples. And the word says in Mark chapter 11, verse 12, that they were walking and Jesus was hungry. And he looked off in the distance and he saw a fig tree. And the fig tree from a long distance away looked very strong and it was in leaf. And Jesus was hungry. Now, if you know anything about figs in the Bible, you'll understand that fig trees represent the church of God itself. God told the Israelites, I will lead you to a land of milk and honey and figs. So when we're dealing... Did you know you can make honey from figs? Never had it. Probably never will, because regular honey does me just fine. But you can make honey from figs. And so God tells them this, and so when we're dealing with bearing fruit and figs and trees, there's a huge representation of what the church is called to be. And so Jesus sees this fig tree off in the distance, and it is full of leaves, and it is big, and he's hungry, and as he walks up to it with his disciples, he learns something slightly disappointing about this tree. Does anyone know what it is? It's plastic. (laughs) Just kidding. It has no figs. But the reason it has no figs is not the tree's fault. Because they're reminded in Mark chapter 11 that it is not the season for figs for that tree. So Jesus says, I understand. That makes sense. We'll come back next year. No. He curses the fig tree and says, may you never bear fruit again. Now, if I was a preacher that preached in bullet points, which I'm not, that's offensive to me, I would have this be one bullet point. Jesus doesn't care if you are in season or not. If you're a fig tree, bear figs. Because if people who are hungry and hurting and wounded see you from a long ways off and you look like a strong, big fig tree with deep roots that are full of leaves and they come to you and find no figs, and you bear no fruit, then they will leave disappointed, feeling alone, and hungry. And so Jesus curses the fig tree, because I think he understands something. The kingdom of God is coming, and in the kingdom of God there are no barren fig trees. In God's kingdom, if you're a fig tree, you're always in season and you're always bearing fruit. He called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. Jesus called the Pharisees a brood of vipers because when people were walking in the desert and when it gets really hot in the desert, sometimes they would need a place of solace or a cave or they would go under a big shadowy rock 
to rest, and that is where the vipers would be. And so in the same place that is meant to bring shade and rest and comfort in the middle of the desert, like a fig tree is meant to provide fruit for the hungry, or the church is meant to provide safety and rest for the broken, these vipers would be hiding there and bite them and attack these people, making them feel more alone, more broken, more hurting, and more unacceptable. Are you following me? So Jesus does that thing with the tree. And then Mark, because he has some very serious points to make, follows Jesus into the temple right after Jesus curses the tree, the flag of the Israelite church. And Jesus goes into the temple and he finds people who have come to what is supposed to be a house of prayer, a place of sacrifice where you can come and sacrifice and be cleansed by the blood of an animal that has been purified. And he finds people in that temple selling and lying and cheating and stealing from the people who have come to that place of rest. He finds a brood of vipers waiting to bite the broken. And in a similar way that he just cursed the fig tree, he grabs a whip. And he starts running people out of the church as if to say, may you never bear fruit in this place again. Because this was meant to be a house of prayer. This was meant to be a place that brought people into my safety. This was meant to be a place where people could come with anything that was going on in their lives and receive grace and mercy in their time of need. And instead, you have turned it into a den of robbers and now people are trying to kill him. He's stopped telling parables. And he's dead within the week. Because people couldn't handle this kingdom. So the fig tree has been cursed. People have been run out of the, lit- of the figurative fig tree, the church. And then Jesus walks back by the fig tree. And one of his disciples, I'm imagining Peter. Maybe it says Peter says, hey, that tree's dead. Jesus, did you see it? That tree's dead. Come on, Peter. It's Jesus. He cursed it. It was going to die. But Peter's like, Jesus, it worked. What you said worked. So Jesus sits him down and he tells him this parable in Mark chapter 12. A man planted a vineyard He put a wall around it, and he dug a pit for the wine press, and then he built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. 
But they seized that servant, they beat him, they sent him away feeling alone, broken, and empty-handed, or hungry. Then, Then the owner sent another servant to them, and they struck this man on the head, and they treated him shamefully. You don't belong. Then he sent still another. What is going on with this owner? He just keeps sending people. Like he's given those tenants more and more chances. I'm going to fire them all right away. He still sent another, and that one they killed. It gets worse. He sent many others, some of them they beat, and others they killed. This is the good part. He had one left to send. This owner sent every single servant he had, giving these people chances to provide the people who had come to the vineyard with the wine or the fruit that had been prepared. And they rejected all of them. And he had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, like Jesus is entering the city for his last week. And he said, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. That's hilarious to me because do these farmers know they're in a rented vineyard? They're not even at the estate. They're in a rented vineyard. And they somehow get the weird idea that if they kill the son, the whole estate will be theirs. Very confused. Maybe they felt entitled. Because they had been working really hard to make this vineyard good. To make this vineyard the best wine press. The best place for producing wine. The best tasting wine that you could. And so nobody else can have it. And if we get rid of all the servants, maybe all of it will be ours. For ourselves. Do you know what happens if you just stand in the wine press stomping grapes? and never share, your wine starts to smell like feet. And nobody wants to drink that wine. I came up with that myself. I was good. I didn't read that anywhere. Your wine starts to smell like feet. And then Jesus says this, What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone or the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. When I read that parable and it ends like that, I'm like, what, Jesus? That parable is terrible. And you're giving it a happy ending without telling me why you're giving it a happy ending. 
a man built a vineyard. He sent a bunch of people to collect the harvest. They all got beat up or killed. And now you're saying, the stone, oh, the owner's going to kill everybody. The stone that the, 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 the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this is a marvelous thing in our eyes. What the heck? I know the answer. I'm just, I'm just bringing you along. Let's look at it again. A man built a vineyard. And he put a wall around the vineyard. Which implies there's a gate. And Mark was very specific. He needed us to know there's a wall around this vineyard. Kind of like a curtain, maybe. Something that would keep the foxes out. But if someone needed to be allowed in to receive the wine, which represents what? What does wine represent? Blood. Very good. Wine represents the blood that cleanses and purifies behind the curtain where the priest would go and offer a sacrifice. And so there's a wall around this vineyard and the owner builds it knowing that people will be coming to receive this wine. And then he digs a wine press so that you can have the very best wine. And then he builds a watchtower. What do you do with a watchtower? You make sure the foxes don't get in. You make sure they don't get in and, and steal the stuff. And then he begins to hire people. He doesn't hire plumbers. He hires people who know how to work a vineyard. He hires people who know how to use a wine press, who know how to operate a watchtower, who know how to grow grapes. He hires people who know what they're doing so that hopefully, because they know what they're doing, they'll know the purpose of why they're doing what they're doing. So that when people come to receive from the vineyard, they will. But just like the fig tree that was apparently out of season, and just like the temple that was meant to be a house of prayer for the hurting to come, this vineyard was not a place where the broken could dwell. Where the least of these could come and receive the grace of God. And so he tells this to Peter and the rest of his disciples. And he gives it a happy ending. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this will be marvelous in our eyes as if to say, I'm about to change the way that you do church. I just fired all of the vineyard workers. I just fired all of the priests. I just kicked them out of the building. I said, you 
don't belong here. And now, I'm going to destroy and rehire people who know what they're doing. And then Jesus goes to the cross. And as he's on the cross, and as he dies, the sky is darkened. And there's a greater death that occurs. I wonder if that death was the death of the vineyard model of church as we know it. The wall that would separate the people coming to receive from the wine that is inside. And the curtain that separates is torn down the middle. And the wall of the vineyard comes crashing down. And Peter hears this, and as a result, he writes the book of First Peter. I, want, I was looking for an amen, Christy Link. Amen. First Peter chapter 2. The man who said, hey Jesus, it worked, the fig tree really died. Hey Jesus, what are you doing kicking these people out of church? The man who listened intently to the parable that represents the vineyard model, the Old Testament model of church that has been drastically changed since the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. As you come to Him, Jesus, the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and a precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, and he uses the same verse that Jesus said when he shared the parable of this vineyard, the stone, the builders, rejected, has become the capstone, has become the cornerstone. Now let's turn a little theological for a moment. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. What does that sound like? It sounds like a temple. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come and that He would fill us and that He would indwell us. In the Old Testament, that temple that housed the Holy Spirit had a curtain in front of it, had a priest. Only a priest could go behind the curtain. And that priest would do that on behalf of the people. 
But because it wasn't happening right, because the fig trees were all out of season, and the house of prayer had been turned into a den of robbers, Jesus said, we got to change this whole process, and I'm going to change where the temple is. The temple is going to exist in my people. And so Peter writes, you are built into a spiritual house. A house with legs, might I add. A house with legs and eyes and hands and a mouth. And not only does he say you're being built into a spiritual house, he says you're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Now he uses the word priests. We, we see the curtain being torn and we just say, You have direct access to God. Everyone has direct access to God. And that is true. But the role of the priest is to be the mediator between the people who do not know God and and God Himself. And the priests in the temple and the farmers in the vineyard were not doing a good job of mediating between the people who did not know God and God. And so Jesus is saying, I'm firing them all. And Peter says, and you hired me. They're gone. And not only have I hired you as priests, at the same time, and here's the abstract part that you've got to try to understand, at the same time that I hired you as a priest, I have also made you into the temple of God. You're the priest, and at the same time, you're the temple. You are the place that houses all of the power and authority and grace and peace of God, and you are the mediator to decide who gets in and who gets out. You are the mediator, and your job as the mediator, because you are the temple and the mediator between the people who do not know God and God, at the same time, is to use your legs and go to the broken. And so Jesus would tell a similar parable of a master who wanted to have a meal and a dinner, and he invited people to come to the place, to come to the temple, to come to the banquet hall, and no one came. And so he changed the model. He changed the model. And he said, go into the streets and compel them to come. Carry them if you have to. Since Jesus has died and risen from the dead, the model of how church is done has drastically changed. This is not the temple. You and I are the temple. Can I rant for a moment? So why then do we have hundreds and thousands, if not millions and millions of temples of God who are all filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and anointed as priests to go and be the mediator between the broken and the healer Himself. Why do we have all of those temples, all of those people believing 
that the temple is still this building. And hundreds of thousands of them come every Sunday to sit in a pew and listen to the mediator present the word to them as if they are the broken, as if they are the hurting. I'm not saying you can't be broken and hurting, but if we're going to talk about becoming, I'm not going to tell you how to become. I'm going to tell you what you already are. You're the temple of God. And you're the priest of God. And you have legs. Our job is not to be in this place and to grow strong and to have deep roots and to be full and leafy so that people see us off from a distance who are hungry and come to us saying, I need you, I need you, I need you. And then they arrive and there's no fruit. And we say, it's not the season. We're in training. I just started a discipleship class. Once that ends, I'll be a little more ready. And I'll go then. Man, church, church just, they're great at training. They are great at training. We started going out for PM doing street ministry. It didn't take that long before I started hearing about all the street ministry trainings that are available. I said, we're already doing it. We don't need trained. We are the temple of God. We are the priests of God. All the power of the creator of the universe dwells inside of us. We don't need a 10-week class before we step out into a broken world. You don't need a 10-week class before you step out to meet the broken people in your work or in your school, or in your neighborhood, or in the neighborhood that you're afraid to go into. You don't need that. You. I, Rob will agree with me, so I'm just going to say it. You have already become. You have already become everything that you need to be if you have a relationship with Jesus. It is finished. You are not a fig tree that does not bear figs. You always have figs. You are not a vineyard with a wall around it that waits for people to come to you with wine that smells like feet because they never come. You are the temple. And the people who were abusing and hurting the broken have been fired. They're gone. That model has been killed. Let me share a story with you, if I can convince you any more. My friend Keith and I often split up on Sunday nights when we go out and do street ministry, and I'm always jealous of Keith because he comes back with better stories than I do. I'm like, I gave this lady a hug. And he's like, 
This person's arm got healed. All right, Keith, you win. As if it was a competition. Keith has his team out praying a couple weeks ago and they come across the man who shares vulnerability, vulnerably of his homeless state and how he needs a job. And they pray for him and then they leave. The man walks in to Stockbridge United Methodist Church and talks with Joni because they have a bread pantry there. And he says, those people from River PM, they prayed for me last week. And I was homeless and I told them I was homeless and I needed a job. And they just prayed for me. And just a couple days ago, I was walking down the street and a man just comes out of his house who knows my situation and he says, hey dude, I'm moving to Florida. You guys listening? This is a good story. I'm moving to Florida. This house is paid for. I don't want to go through all the paperwork. So what I want to do is I want to sell you this house for a dollar. It's completely furnished. I don't want to take the furniture with me. The house is completely furnished. Like four bedrooms. On one condition. You have to fill that house up with other men who are homeless. So that they can have an address and they can all get jobs. I heard that last week. It's not one of those testimonies that we share for 20 years because we're going to hear another one next week. And we're going to hear another one the week after that. Why? Because we are the temple and we are the priests. And we have the potential to introduce people to the power of God so that they can fill His grace. And that man credited that entire story to Jesus Christ. And now that house is full of men who now have an address and they're applying for jobs. I don't know the state of the jobs, but I know they're all applying for jobs and it's a sweet deal. And then, here's another story. I was coming into work. Friday, there was a man standing out in the middle of Bronson Park, and he looked kind of confused, because he was just standing there. And the Lord said to me, some of you don't think you hear the Lord, okay? So when I say the Lord said to me, I don't care how you interpret that. I felt compelled, I thought it might be a good idea, Um, I knew what I should do, the good that I ought to do. I heard God speak to my ears. I heard Him in my head. I was aware because He's given me the mind of Christ so I could see the world as Christ could see the world. And the Lord said to me, go pray for Him. And I said, no. That's kind of awkward. I do that on Sunday nights, God. I don't do it all the time. And I was walking in and God said, um... You know what you're preaching about Sunday, right? Yes, I do. You know you're the temple of God, right? You know the Holy Spirit dwells in you, right? Yeah. You know you're the mediator between that man and Jesus. 
You will not be a den of robbers. You will go to him. And do you know what happened? I walked up to him. I said, hey, I'm Rod. We shook hands. He told me his name. I said, the Lord sent me here to pray for you. Can I pray for you? He said, yeah. I prayed for him. Then he said, I'm hungry. I said, let's go get lunch. He said, no. I can't go get lunch. My ankle hurts. I'm hobbling around. I said, can I pray for your ankle? Why didn't you tell me that at first? What is, what is your problem? Probably not the best way to go about it. I didn't say that. I said, can I pray for your ankle? He said, no. I was like, God, you just sent me over here to pray for this guy. He's supposed to say yes. He said, no. I said, all right. I'm still going to pray for your ankle. I'm just going to do it while I'm walking away, and we're going to hope it feels better, okay? He said, okay. I left. Never saw him again. I'm not chasing after miracles. Because if I'm chasing after miracles and I don't get the miracle, I'm confused. I'm chasing after Jesus. He said he was the least of these. And if I can look at that man and be a temple of God with eyes, be obedient with my feet, be loving with my hands as I'm led by the Holy Spirit, this mobile home temple model, then I can be confident that that encounter with that man was an encounter with the Most High God. The God who parted the Red Seas. The God who raised Lazarus from the dead. The God who sent fire from heaven and consumed an altar in front of 400 prophets of Baal. I can be convinced that that same God introduced himself to that man standing in the middle of Bronson Park simply because I'm the temple. But most of us don't do that because it feels awkward. Most of us don't do that because it feels awkward. How arrogant of us as the temple of God and the priests of God to decide who gets to encounter the presence of the most holy, loving, merciful, grace-filled being in the universe. Because we feel awkward or because we feel afraid. The last people that did not honor the wine that they were supposed to distribute were fired. This is a 911 call, as Bill Hybels would say. This is a 911 call. You have a job to do. You're not going to lose your salvation. God's grace is too big for that, He loves you too much. But he has a job for you to do. 
you don't need any more training. Did you hear that part? I need to say that again. You don't need any more training. You don't need any more training. You don't need any more training. You have a job to do. It is to be the temple. And it is to take Jesus to all of the places that you already know and that the Lord leads you to do. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we have not done a good job. But we thank you for your grace in that. We thank you that you're going to keep sending people our way to receive from you. And I ask in Jesus' name that you will give us the clarity to see those people, to be the temple of God, and to be the priests of God who bring your grace to the broken and do not leave them hanging because we feel awkward or judgmental or afraid. And we thank you for giving us that opportunity and we humbly accept that challenge. In Jesus' name, amen.